Welcome back to another episode of Voices of Western. This is the Humans of Western podcast, and I'm excited to be introducing Susie Martins to one of our alumni episodes today. She is a global leader, has worked in so many different functions over the course of her career, uh, also a Western alum, as you can tell by her hoodie, and we'll be talking about lots of topics that involve leadership, HR, operations, and basically different functions in a startup, and how to end up getting to a place to consider starting your own company. Susie, I will pass it on to you where you can give a brief introduction about yourself and take us through your journey. Sure. Thank you for having me. It's always great to come back and uh, talk to the folks at Western. So um, my name's Susie. Uh, I'm a graduate from the HBA and MBA program at Western. Uh, in terms of my journey, I'm from southwestern Ontario, so I grew up uh, in Wallsburgs, uh, just about an hour south of London. I uh, went to Western, and first couple of years I studied languages uh, and a mixed degree, uh, the Scholars Elective Program, and then uh, I, I went to business school. So uh, with that, I've been very interested in kind of globalization and, and global travel at that time, which is already about 20 years ago. <laughs> which was not as common, but it was amazing. I got to go to Trois-Pistoles, which uh, is in northern Quebec, to practice French. And I went to Barcelona for half a year uh, exchange. And then I also worked in Australia, the stock exchange, uh, during my first internship. So uh, this really sparked an interest in me in, in, in knowing more and that the big, you know, the world was big out there. And like, what, what was I going to do? So from there, I started actually in 3M, which was the pin pinnacle of innovation at the time. And, you know, 3M is a wonderful company. Most of you might know it as, you know, post-it notes. Uh, I started at the beginning, like uh, in, in customer service. So customer facing, and this was the time of 9-11. Uh, and this was the time of anthrax. And you know, I was N95 masks, right, which came back to haunt us during COVID. But that was my first job and having back orders for a year in that job. And 3M was a wonderful company. I worked there because I was able to work in French and English and practice those skills. And uh, I would have never left probably if I didn't want to go globally. So, and uh, at that time, I really thought it would be important to gain my stripes early in my career um, to shift into finance. So I did that. So basically I left 3M, then I moved to Europe pretty much for the rest of my 20s uh, and worked with General Electric, so GE. Uh, and, uh, and I worked in their finance program and their audit program. And, uh, you know, at that time, GE was in its heyday, you know, 400,000 um, employees and just like you know, one of the biggest names on the stock exchange. If you see one of those net worth trackers now on LinkedIn talking about who was the biggest company ever, they're always top four, top three, um, you know, in terms of market cap all during those years. And um, I worked in plastics, <laughs> which is not the sexiest business, but I will say to, you know, students watching, it's great to work for industrial businesses because, you, you know, every, every penny counts, right. And you learn to repeat, you know, different activities um, many times and perfect them. So I got really good at doing financial analysis, for example. So um, I worked across Europe in those roles. I worked uh, based out of the Netherlands and across mainland Europe. And then I went to audit. I think it worked in almost 20 countries during that time across Europe, across Latin America, and then also about, um, uh, across the U.S. So really great, different businesses, worked in healthcare business, power business, a bank. Um, so yeah, really fortunate in terms of like having a global journey with my with my company. Uh, during that time, I had the geeky love story. So I dare you to beat this. <laughs> I met my husband as a finance trainee, and then we were also finance auditors together. <laughs> so he was from Spain. So I uh, had to decide when I was at GE, you know, like what uh, we were going to do because we were from two different parts of the world. So basically what I decided is I'd like to come back to Canada, you know, and we wanted to have our family here. So basically I, you know, kind of graduated from GE and, you know, the next week got married in Spain and then the next week back to Western actually. <laughs> so went to Western, do my MBA. Uh, MBA was a personal goal of mine to kind of do before I was 30. Um, so came back to do that. Uh, knew it was a good experience. I also thought I just worked for two huge American companies. It would be great to work for a Canadian company as well. So that was one of my other goals. So you know, that brought me to Manulife. So many of you will know Manulife is one of the biggest financial services companies in Canada, um, Jan, uh, John Hancock in the US. And uh, I worked at Manulife for 11 years, right? And I had two kids while I was there. So a uh, really great run. 
So I don't know. Do you have any questions tonight or you want me just to keep on? Yeah, going? let's, I guess let's uh, dive into your experience in Europe and like traveling across so many different countries. Was it your job that was offering the opportunity to just like travel across Europe? I guess like, was it to do site visiting or how, how did that come about? Um, sure. Like it was actually part of the job. So when I was in a financial like rotations that it was across a pan-European program, so you had six months in each country and in each uh, type of finance. And we actually had a, a, like a program where you had to have a correct, you had a curriculum where there's three exams as well, every six months that you needed to get 85% or higher on to kind of progress through the program. So it was a pretty intense program. So that, that, uh, that was the GE finance program. And then, you know, for a corporate audit, the whole point of that program was that it was international audit. Um, so that was global by nature. So it was kind of like school when you have to pick your courses, we would pick where we would like to audit, you know, what type of business. I always wanted to audit NBC because <laughs> GE used to own it. And I was like, I want to go to the, the parks too, like <laughs> do a asset audit on uh, roller coasters, <laughs> something fun. Did you do but that? No, <laughs> I got sent to like Finland and was doing very deep financial audits, but, uh, but it was fun too, right? It was just different things. So, yeah. And so over the course of how many years, was it the nine years that you said you were at GE that you got to like spend your time traveling across Europe and meeting your husband? Yeah, I, I was in Europe uh, in and out of all my twenties because I did uh, different exchanges there too. Right. Um, and then I worked at GE about four or five years, like, uh, you know, kind of after I did a, my first job at 3M and then went to GE. So yeah. And that's where I met my husband. Got it. Wow. And then like you decided to come back to Canada, like many life-changing events happened in the span of two weeks. So you can like continue telling us what happened. Like you started your MBA, graduated <laughs> from Western and then. And then um, I joined Manulife and man I've been in so many different development programs. So I was in, you know, uh, 3M was a development program too. Like I was learning Six Sigma, which was a quality program at the time. And then GE was finance and then audit. And then when I went to Manulife, it was, you know, I think it was four to six years to become a general manager. So it was a general manager program. And for me, I've been, as I go through my career, I've always kind of like to be in lots of different areas. I'm a true generalist where, uh, you know, I've switched countries, I've switched companies, I've switched functional areas throughout my career. Um, and this was a great opportunity with Manulife. And when I met with them, they were like, okay, do you want to work in audit? And I said, absolutely not. I just did audit 24 hours a day for the last like few years. Um, but I'd really love to go in HR. And that kind of shifted my career towards HR and operations roles. And, uh, I wanted to do that because in GE, it was it was very clear to me that it was the CEO, the CFO, and then also the head of HR that made that company so so effective, right? And that, you know, GE was known for people development and for management and leadership. Like that's what, if you look at their value proposition, Google did online, like it was the Jack Welsh area and that's what was built in the organization. So for me, I thought, I want to be involved in that. Like I'd love to be on the strategy side of really developing people to be um, effective in their roles. So that brought me to HR. And then I worked in a variety of HR and ops roles. So, um, you know, in the group benefits space, in global jobs, Manulife's uh, footprints really global, like uh, Canada, US, and then mainly in Asia, about 14 countries. So I did all sorts of jobs there, managing teams up to, you know, 250 people, uh, doing everything from like some strategy work uh, to reorganize the company at some point. And then to working in payroll. <laughs> so payroll, you know, no one ever aspires to work in payroll, but no one likes to not get paid uh, 100% accurate. <laughs> exactly. No, that's a good point. So I think that's a good experience to work in payroll and big respect for anyone who works in payroll. It's a very technical job, um, a high degree of accuracy obviously required. And uh, and you have to have you know a good um, understanding of so many different things because everything ends up in your paycheck, right? So yeah, so that was a good experience. And, and in terms of so managing, I think you said like managing over just about 250 people. Yeah. Um, I know from experience working in teams that are like 10, 15, 20 people, you kind of get that personal touch point with people, right? But if you're managing such a big team, um, how was it like? Like, how do you even personalize such an experience for people? I know your focus is in authenticity and making sure like people have that sense of belonging. So what things were put in place for you to be able to be an effective leader? 
Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. Um, so I think with a team like that, so I had a, a couple different jobs, but if I think about my payroll and HR operations job that had, um, you know, 250 people, there was uh, 14 countries. So you're dealing with time zones as well. You're dealing with cultural differences as well, right? So um, the good thing is that we were able to travel. So I got to meet a lot of the, you know, my direct reports uh, when I'd go to Asia or they would sometimes come to North America for, for team meetings. We were lucky we had some budget for that. Um, but I think the very first thing, the most important thing to do is one, have very clear goals when you're managing a team, no matter where they are, no matter how big they are. The number one key to success for getting stuff done and engagement is to have clear goals because everybody wants to make an impact, right? Everybody wants to know what they're supposed to be doing, right? And that will get you energized if you know what you're supposed to do, and then you can get recognized for it, right? (laughs) So I think- That's number one. And then number two, I think in terms of getting to know people, I always put a lot of time into it, right? And I think, you know, I get asked all the time, like, how do you build uh, engaging teams? And, you know, what what do you do to keep teams together? It's like, you put time into it, right? You get to, I would meet with my team regularly, like my direct reports. And then I'd also meet with their teams. I I would have, uh, we used to call them skip levels. I know, I think now they call, they, there's a terminology called stay interviews where people talk about, you know, what do you like about working here and, you know, what's different than what you thought when you joined, for example. But I guess my, my era of management, we used to just call that skip levels. So I would meet with someone underneath a person underneath me, like you skip a level and then, uh, and then basically just meet them, be like, who I would just go with, who are you? You know what I mean? Like, and, and when I meet them and be, you know, uh, tell me about yourself. Like, tell me your whole story. Like, where are you from? Like what we're doing today. And they would tell me all about themselves and, you know, and I'm like, so what's going well? And like, you know, um, you know, what do you think we need to work on? And, you know, how can I help? And I always open that door. So I would meet with people all the time, you know, on my team and, and beyond. And I always had open lines of communication and just an email away or a ping away for, for pretty much anyone on my team globally. So, yeah. That's awesome. Um, Okay, something unrelated, but like on the topic of leadership and how to make people feel included, I have recently started watching a show called New Amsterdam on Netflix. And have you watched it? That's no, but there's no. The, the guy in that is in uh he's in another movie or show, the the lead character. But anyways, yeah, no, go ahead. Yeah, his his name in the movie or in the show is Max Goodwin. He's like yeah. one of the most awesome, like super cool leaders I've seen. Exactly like you said, like skip levels, talk to the people oh. who are working. He's the medical director of a big hospital, public hospital. So like the yesterday's episode I was watching, he like was talking to people who believed their jobs were obsolete. Like they were effectively not contributing to anything and asked them to come to him and like found a new solution for jobs that they could be having. Now this requires some level of, trust in you as a leader for people to come out and say hey like i don't think the job i'm doing is actually contributing to anything because there's always a risk of being laid off but this was like super cool to watch on how he just relocated resources um to areas that actually needed people perfect example of leadership when i watch movies and tv shows somehow like i think about leadership and like this was this was an awesome thing i would highly recommend Mm-hmm. It's great. Like, actually, I was talking the other day about how now, because things are so remote, you can have lived experiences by something like that, right? You, you got experience by watching that, which is interesting. And yeah, the, the character I was thinking of was in Blacklist. I was like, yes, that was it. But uh, but I think uh, that example of working yourself out of a job and getting redeployed somewhere else was the foundation of GE. We used to actually be told when we were doing our rotations, like this picture of success is that you'd actually work yourself out of a job and then you would do something else, right? And then, so I've always had that actually with my own mindset and, you know, and always to think about when you come into a role, what is going to be, what am I going to be my like famous for? What's my uh, claim to fame coming out of this uh, role? And if you think about it that way, then you can focus on what's really important, right? Because you can get bogged down by, the millions of day-to-day things to do, right? Whereas, you know, there's really that one big thing or two big things maybe, you know what I mean? That you can do in your job that will make such a big impact, right? Or if you can really work automating it, 
right? We used to try to automate things by using Excel <laughs> and it was pretty effective. We would go in and everything was so manual and we'd be in finance and be like, okay, hey, we have an automated uh, Excel. You know, I would do it with formulas. Other people would do it with macros, right? And that job, you know, that used to take us one week of each month to report turned into like instantaneous, right? And we we're so proud of it, right? So I think you can apply that to almost any job, yeah. Can you tell me more about uh, the whole idea of what was it you said, like working yourself out of a job? Like, what was that? Like, that's the first time hearing it. So I'm curious to learn more about. Okay. Yeah, no. So basically, you know, we had a philosophy that if you took a, a on, you know, like we were rotating, right? So that you would have, I don't know, like a controllership rotation, or um, you might be like the financial analyst person for a different business, right? So if you could, you know, kind of keep on working and try to automate things, you know, maybe with Excel or other, now it'd be like AI and it'd be much more advanced, right? Um, or take other steps to to like make your role better. The more you could reduce that role to be, you know, less manual, et cetera, then that would be success, right? Then you could work on higher value tasks, right? There's always a lot of work to do. And if, it depends on the philosophy of companies. So if your company believes in development, which was what GE believed in, was developing people. And it was my pride, you know, as a leader, it was the pride of my leader to see, you know, someone on their team succeed, right? And to really help them, you know, you know, get rid of that non-value add, ta those non-value add tasks. You know, when people talk about chat GPT now, like so worried about their jobs, like I wouldn't be worried at all. Like that's just another tool. So it's a tool you can use and you kind of use it, evaluate what information it is that it gives to you and say, hey, what if this is useful or it actually helped me evolve my thinking? That's awesome, right? And made something faster, that's great, right? It shouldn't be um, qu uh, quantity of things you're doing, but the quality, right? So if you just automated your morning because you use chat GPT to just draft something 90% of the way there, why not, right? Like exactly. why not if it's actually helpful and it evolves your thinking and you're gonna get better and better and faster. And then you can use that time to do something else you know, other work or maybe sneak in like a walk outside or whatever makes sense for your day. Yeah. Do you see it as a way of replacing your job though? Like the people who are utilizing it at its best, they are the ones who are winning. Like I think anyone else who doesn't adapt it would probably like stay behind mm -hmm. because they wouldn't be able to, again, optimize for those high value tasks and like growth and they wouldn't have as many opportunities as what they think. Yeah, no, I always think that um, like things have changed, right? Like I'm just thinking like over time, like it used to be really important to be good at memorizing, right? And like uh, being able to consume information and being knowledgeable about things, right? That was probably like when I started school, like it was important to memorize you know, history, geography, all sorts of things, right? And then you know, now it's less important. It's really actually knowing how to navigate and, the, and you know, how to use your tools and how to optimize them, right? So I think it's really going to be based around um, your ability to think critically and creatively, right, with the information that you have and being able to figure out what's important. So if you think about like Western, like I gained a lot of those skills at business school, right? We would get business cases at that time that were like a disgusting amount of information, right? These Harvard business reviews that would be, I don't know, like 50 pages. And then you'd have text reading and all of these other things. Like they did it on by design, I think, like just so much reading to the point you could almost not read it, but you need to figure out what's important in all of this. Like if someone gives you an overload of information, like although that was written down, it's the same as today. It's way too much information for anyone, all the information we get so your ability to actually cut through it and say this is important or i'm going to focus on these three things is what will make a difference it, it won't be you know worrying about chat gpt right like hopefully chat gpt and other tools you know as they continue to evolve you just learn which ones work well provide quality information that you can rely on and you know what are the other resources you want to use and how oh, does that absolutely. yeah there's a ton like just open linkedin and we'll see a hundred posts about how to utilize ai and you know 10 different ways to use chat gpt yeah. <laughs> um, so you worked across different functions we kind of like touch on this um, customer support finance strategy operations hr mm -hmm. how did you manage to like adapt in these changing environments like just switch your focus from one thing to the other to the other Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, if you wanted uh, 
to switch businesses, switch countries, switch, you know, uh, business areas, it's not easy, right? Like it all seems sexy when you hear about this, you know, and I, and I see a lot of people, oh, that's so cool. You went on international exchange or, you know, you worked across the world and it is cool, right? Like it was amazing, but it wasn't without its, you know, struggles and, you know, like, and, and, and scaling up, like a lot of this is about pushing yourself, you know, out of a comfort zone and putting the work in right? You really have to do the work to learn your area, especially if you're switching areas, right? Like think about how much it takes to ramp on any topic. So if you're just a, not just, but if you were a finance person, for example, it takes a lot to, you know, to learn all of like, let's say you're a CPA, like you're a, a chartered accountant, right? It, it takes a lot to pass those exams, study all of that, to keep on going in that area and keep on learning and going up those levels. And it's continuous effort to perfect all of that. If you decide to do what I did, and go across different areas, it's a lot, it's like totally different context. So you actually become, I think, better at it. And what helped me was being an audit, you know, um, audit, I actually think is one of the best jobs I had because you would drop into different businesses, have different, you know, and the first thing you need to know for the business was know your business. So we had kind of a way to say, okay, look at it from a, a, you know, what country are you in? Like, who are the people here? Who are the competitors? You know, what are the, you know, kind of SWOT analysis factors, et cetera. What are the financials, the key financial things we used to do, right? So you'd come down, sit, you know, like really intensely and get up to speed, right? And I think I've done that in every job where you just have to be like, okay, like, where am I, right? Like, what company is this? What's going on? You know, what is this function doing? What's important here, right? What are we trying? What would picture of success be for this role? So put your head down and like focus and work. And I think as you continue to go in your career, it's not, you know, it's not about you. Everything is a team effort, right? So it's figuring out on your team, you know, who's on the team, what do they do? And, you know, what do they want to do? And how can you help everybody get there based on what needs to be delivered? So I think that's a really important piece of, you know, in any role, no matter what your path is to know about jobs, right? That we're all just people working together, trying to accomplish, you know, goals. <laughs> so. Absolutely. No, that's a good thing. I guess also I want a personal opinion from you on this thing that, you know, how you said, like, put your head down and work. Yeah. Um, I was recently speaking to a friend and they said, okay, well, what ideas do I have? Do you have? Um, I said, well, I, I'm like observing right now. I don't have any ideas because I'm focused on observing, seeing how like different team players interact, what kind of problems they come up and ask questions. How is putting your head down and like, um, like again, like reviewing those SWOT analysis and those things, how does it look like? Yeah. Well, I think you, well, you're talking to me. I talk all the time, right? So I'll ask lots of questions. I think another thing that I didn't mention about, like if you're switching different businesses and, and learning something new, that's your honeymoon period. Nobody expects you to know anything, right? You just started, right? There might be some level of base understanding that you, you would be expected to have, but generally that's where you can like ask your friends, ask your boss, ask your peers, ask the receptionist, right? Ask anyone, you know, like all the questions you ever had about, you know, the organization or different points of view on what you're doing or, or just in general, what's going on. So I think uh, that's, that's a big one, like in terms of like getting down into the detail is, you know, collecting information in different ways. It's not about locking yourself in a room because again, you're just going to have a bunch of information what's going to help you cut through that information is getting better context. So how can you get better context? And uh, with this, like sometimes come for opportunities for advocating for yourself. I know I'm very keen to do some advocacy for myself in like different areas of life. I'm assuming like changing places and traveling to different places, managing teams, you often have to advocate for people or people come to you advocating for their teams. How how do you deal with that? Yeah, I think with advocating and what I like to say is like, you need to tell people what you're thinking, especially as a people leader. You know, sometimes I would have someone on my team come to me and say, well, I wanted to do this or, you know what I mean? Or why didn't I, or it more, it sounds more like this. Why wasn't I chosen for this? Or why, you know, didn't this happen? Or why didn't that happen? Right. Which is a very passive approach, right? Like they're wait, they're waiting. And probably the, the personality type thinks, oh, I'm doing my work. I'm heads down. I'm doing my work. It should speak for itself, right? Which that's, you know, there's something wonderful about that. The people who want to just sit down and do their, do their work, right? But if you don't tell people what you want, 
right? If you don't tell people what you're dreaming about, they're not mind readers. For me, I live for helping someone, you know, hit their dream in the workplace or just in life. Like I love this stuff, right? So if you told me, Susie, this is my goal, then I know the more people you tell, you know, like it's like, a, a, you know, just writing it down in some of these different best practices people talk about with goals. But it, I think it's telling people, right? If you tell people what you want to do, it's in their brain. So eventually, you know, if something comes up, I might think, saying want to do that i'm gonna give him a call i'll ping him out of the blue and right and i'll remember you right and and i also think managers don't do things with bad intent generally so that person that came back and said like why wasn't i considered i probably didn't know right or i didn't because i didn't know i didn't even give you the opportunities to kind of help you get in that direction right because i wasn't thinking about it because i was just trying to work towards the goals and working with everyone right so in, in addition in addition to mentioning to people like what you want, which has worked wonders for me personally, thankfully, um, I've seen a lot about providing your value and then showcasing that in front of the leadership. Now take that as you will, but what's your take? Like, should someone be super connected to the leadership, like skip levels or how does that work? Mm -hmm. I think you should always be connected to the leadership. Right. If you're interested, you know, I always say if someone's happy and hardworking and capable, those are my favorite people. And uh, so for, for the leadership, for me, like example, like I love meeting you, like I like meeting young, um, bright talent. And, you know, I see the future so bright for you. You're very curious. You're organized. Right. And you're, you're putting your effort into like things that you're interested in and you're trying to connect people. You're trying to do well in your career. Right. Um, so talking to leadership, anyone in leadership would love that, right? They want to meet someone who has this energy, right? Um, and that also wants to, you know, make changes. So if you want to meet um, leaders, like I think a good way to do that is to volunteer and do things at work. Be, be the person that runs the United Way campaign or one portion of it, right? Or be that person that volunteers to, you know, be the logistics person at the golf tournament. I'm just making up different examples, but um, all of those informal leadership roles that take initiative are important, right? To execute any event, right? And I like anyone who tries to do something, right? Because myself being in so many different roles over the time, like there's always times where you create like a town hall where you bring people together. There's always right. the people that come back and complain about everything, right? <laughs> It'll always happen. Someone's not happy with the color of something. Someone's not happy with the topic, the order, the this, the that, whatever, don't be that person. Okay. Be the person that actually tries to get something done. And that's what I always think. I'm like, Hey, like I don't really criticize too much. I always am like, well, that's great. They try to do it. Maybe it didn't go perfect, but that's all about iterating and getting better and just doing your best. So if somebody did their best effort, then that's great. You know, and if they need help, then we should help them and get, get to that next level. And, you know, even like uh, creating these volunteering opportunities that you mentioned puts you on the map, like it makes you be known beyond the people in your team, more people know you and like, we know that opportunities come from connections. So that's also a great way to think about it. Yeah, and you're making a difference, like you're actually moving something forward, because sometimes it can be very hard to get uh, people to volunteer to help run any aspect of any event. We didn't get the chance to touch on your experience on like apply board and Clearco. I was going to like move on to your entrepreneurial experience, but anything you want to cover on those two before we move forward? Yeah. Like I basically, uh, I guess, fast forward and kind of like <laughs> 10 years later, as my kids like to say, <laughs> I uh, then uh, got into the tech sector. I transitioned, you know, kind of from this lifetime of global corporate roles into the tech sector. And uh, I went in as chief people. Um, officer for Apply Board and for Clearco. They're two different unicorn tech companies in Canada. So wonderful experience. Um, and, you know, got to learn a lot about scaling and also, you know, right sizing um, as the marks keep on shifting uh, over the last couple of years. Awesome. Okay, perfect. And then I'm guessing those roles really prepared you well for switching to Advice to Rise, which is your own company. You want to talk to us more about it? How did it come about? Sure. You know, um, I saw this question before and I was thinking about, you know, how did it come about? 
<laughs> and, you know, if I really look back and think about the context of this discussion is when I was you, right? Like when I was just uh, in school and, and graduating school, like I was a business student. And I would say a very high percentage of people who are in HBA that are, of my cohort wanted to start their own business, right? Like it would be always the dream be like, okay, we're going to graduate and eventually start our own thing. Or, you know, it, what would that look like? And I had the personal dream of starting my own thing at that time. And then also teaching. <laughs> I always thought that I would, you know, kind of build up my career and then eventually went through gaining enough real life experiences and becoming this credible business person I would teach, right? Like at a university or something. And, you know, fast forward to where I am now. And I think it's kind of changed shape, right? Because, you know, I, I, I'm working now more on the HR side and helping companies strategize from a people perspective, you know, to figure out what's going well and then, you know, what needs work and like, how do you actually get there? That's a form of teaching and coaching. Right. Which, uh, you know, coaching was not a big thing like when I was in school. But I think the whole idea of advising and, you know, helping people become better in their roles, like in, the, in my case, in the area of like HR <clears throat> and also helping companies become stronger in terms of their people strategies is such important work. Right. And uh, I think my whole career, especially being based in the business side, has really helped me, I think, be better on helping on the HR side. Because I've lived it. I've lived the trying to manage someone. I've lived having to like, you know, hire big teams and let go of people. Like those are lots of difficult um, scenarios sometimes, right? And to be on the front line and actually thinking, how do you talk to someone in one of these scenarios, right? Um, how do you manage afterwards, right? When things change on the team, okay? How do you keep everybody motivated and moving forward? Um, yeah, there's so many different things that you go through when you've had a lot of those years behind you and you've you've had to be that person in that seat <laughs> that had to talk yeah. about, right? So I think I think good HR people like live on the business side for a lot of their career too. Yeah. And I guess a follow-up question, the part of, you know, letting people go, we have seen this happen so frequently, especially yeah. like this year. Um, are there, I always wonder, are there considerations of, okay, why don't we relocate these people to other departments? For example, sometimes, I don't, just as, just an example, HR, if you are not hiring, the, let's say talent acquisition specialists, if you're not hiring people, you might not need talent acquisitions at the time. Is there ever the consideration of, okay, let's switch these people to customer support or sales or like mm -hmm. anywhere in between before laying them off? 100%, 150%. It all depends on the company, the scenario, like everything is different, right? Like some companies, unfortunately, may not have a choice, right? They might not be able to make payroll, let's say. That's like your worst case scenario where you, you're, you know, you're getting, you're having to make really tough decisions, right? And I think the thing to think about when, you know, companies do reorganize is that it's not personal, right? It's not like some, it's just circumstantials and how things have played out at this time and like some very difficult decisions that were had to be made at the company level, right? So no one likes to let someone go. Like you'd have to be like, not even human, you know, if you've ever done it or even think about what that is, right? Like no one wants to do that ever, right? So if you think about it, it's come down to now this is a required thing that, you know, people are just trying to manage the best they can. So I think if you are impacted in a job, just think that it's not personal. You know what I mean? It's an unfortunate activity, you know, that ever, no one wants to have it happen. And that, uh, and that, that we're wa walking through these um, times the best way that we can. And sometimes, you know, it's people's, for, especially with startups, it's their first time potentially doing something like this, right? You might make a mistake. You might say the wrong word, right? And, and people could have reactions. So I think it's just having a little bit of, I don't know, understanding of that too, right? That everybody is trying to do a good job on both sides. Like where they're trying to work through like, how do you right size my organization? And then also on the other side where you're let go, you know, and if you're, you're let go, like be positive and believe that, and I know this is true, is that things always happen the way they, they're supposed to. So maybe, you know, it's not your dream that that would happen. It's no one's dream, but like at the end of the day, you're going to go exactly where you were supposed to go. And I think also you'll be a much more empathetic person because of those shifting circumstances. You'll remember that experience, right? If it went really well, you'll be like, this is, you know, if this ever happens again and I'm in a different role, different chair, then yeah, 
I will do what happened here or I'll, I won't do this because wow, this is what happened and how I felt in this process, right? Um, and also you'll be able to relate to other people if it happens. I think a lot of people get impacted in their career and especially now it's much more open than it's ever been, right? So, yeah. And I think uh, while I can't really speak on the emotional side because I haven't experienced it, but like on the emotional side, why it feels so heavy is that people might think that they are not good enough. Um, and like from the financial perspective, we know that a good amount of the population does not, unfortunately, does not have an emergency fund in place. So if they don't make a paycheck, they would be severely impacted and could go into like credit card debts and all of those. So not everyone can afford to do that. But I guess one of the good things as it's happening more and more often is to at least build that financial safety net for yourself that if you're impacted, you at least have, at least have like three to six months worth of expenses um, in a savings account. And this is my plug for my personal finance stuff. <laughs> Very passionate about this kind of stuff. Okay, why don't uh, we touch on the topic of HR and how sure. they operate? Sure. So HR, human resources, might be called your people team as well, I think, today, especially in the tech uh, sector. Um, I think HR, <laughs> it operates differently or can be structured differently depending on the size of the organization and the need of the organization. So it, it starts from maybe like, you know, the maturity level of HR. So if you're just a company starting out, you might think of HR as pretty tactical. You might think HR is um, payroll policies, right? Employee relations, dealing with employee uh, challenges. So that's like the really tactical end of HR, like maybe what you need just to get started, like your company, the basic, basic. But then HR is very complex and wide. And one of the reasons I love HR is because you, like you've heard my story, I'm cross-functional everything is nature, right? Like if you have finance, which is comp, you have learning and development, right? Um, you know, people development, uh, you have payroll, which is like a finance as well, right? And then you, you have um, talent acquisition and you have strategy, you have every single component of the entire business almost, right, within one function. So it's very cross-functional, it cuts across the different areas. I would say the main areas are, you know, from a strategic perspective, are talent management. And I think the, that this will be as important as your company's strategy, right? who is actually going to do the work, right? And how are you going to organize people, you know, to get behind goals and make things move and happen for the, for the organization? Um, there's learning and development, which is one of the biggest things I think in anybody, like the top two for any employee, what they want to see is flexibility and learning and development, right? So that's a critical, critical area. Um, and then uh, compensation is another one, very big specialty in HR. I think it's a good area to go into, comp, benefits, and payroll. They're very specialized. So if you're a student coming out of school, to get into these areas, if you're good, like, you know, in terms of math and enjoy that uh, analysis, excellent areas, I think, to get into to become very specialized. Um, then, of course, there's a lot of different operational areas and other components to HR, but it can, it can be really complex, right? And uh, I think it's really fun. And right now, I think, is the era of HR. Like uh, Indeed posted the top 20 jobs of 2023, like what is getting posted out there. And, you know, out of those, I would say 90% are all like tech jobs, right? Like still looking for all of the kind of uh, um, product engineers, et cetera, data scientists. Yeah. But within that list is HR director because, you know, um, it is a high in demand job. And also, it, uh, you know, we've been doing COVID. You know, how do you handle that? going back to the office, getting out of the office, right? All the mental mental health and like, how do you incorporate that in well-being, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. All of these are factors that have come to the forefront with, uh, I think, the pandemic uh, have become bigger topics that companies are really, you know, having to think about what's our strategy, what's our stance in a lot of these areas. So that HR person is really the left hand of, of a CEO, you know, if it's done right to really figure out like, how do we do, how do we build this in to our organization and how we function, right? What's important? Yeah, that's a good thing. I never thought of HR leaders as like the left hand of the CEO to like look at and make those decisions, but it does make sense, especially when it comes to people and employees. And this is a perfect segue into our this week's hot take section. And to, <laughs> today's topic is can workers get done more in a four-day work week versus a five-day work week? Recently, there was a study, a survey done in 
so many different companies. I can't remember the number, but I want to say over a thousand companies and firms across the globe. Mm-hmm. Um, and they found lots of positive results when they shifted to a four-day work week, less stress, more productivity, um, more happier employees, and like so many great things. So Susie, what's your take on that? My take on the four-day work week. So yeah, that study I think was in England that they actually did a government sanctioned study, I think a thousand organizations. And it, it was a really high result that people thought, you know what, we could run as a four-day company. And if you look at this and you've been following this topic, something, um, I think it was Henry Ford that came up with the five-day week, right? That he basically said, we'll work five days and have two days off, <laughs> right? And we've, and we've been working with this for many, many, many years, right? And uh, anyways, my take on this is that, I don't know. It just depends, right? Like, of course, like who doesn't want a three-day weekend, right? Like, but if you think about actually running a business and even you as a consumer, if you think about it, think about it as a consumer versus wanting a three-day weekend, okay, who's going to do customer service when you want it, right? Like if Air Canada decided to work four days a week, (laughs) it's not possible, you know, or a lot of companies or Amazon. No, we're not delivering. We're only delivering four days a week. We probably could do that, but that would be a lot of change management, right? And is that what we really want? So I think it's looking at the, you know, this like, you know, does a four day work week work for you? And I kind of think like maybe it could work on a rolling basis. So you could organize your staff so that, and I think nurses, for example, have done this for, for decades, right? Like they talk about these topics like four day week, like it's a brand new concept, but the reality is there's jobs that have been doing this forever. I think there's been nurses or medical staff that works 10 hour, 10 hour shifts, or, and then they work, you know, kind of four days a week off five days on five days off four days or whatever it is, oh, right? Wow. Yeah, this has been, I don't know, we could Google this and maybe <laughs> nurses can comment on this podcast and be like, wait, that, that's wrong. <laughs> I, I think that that's, you know, it, or there's different like industrial jobs, you know, where people have work schedules like this, most definitely, you know, in different places across the world and over time. So it's not a new concept, but but they do it rolling. Like, you know, like they just go four, four days on, four days off, but they're op- all these businesses have always been open all the time, right? So that's the difference. So- I don't know. You can try it. If you want to open a business and try working four days a week, then, you know, all the power to you. Um, you know, for me, I think, uh, especially if it's an established business, some of it's going to be, you know, thinking about how does that impact the consumer, right? And how does that really impact employees too, right? So I think there's a lot to go there and to look at it business by business, if it makes sense, right? But it is definitely like a hot topic right now, for sure. And it may be a bit of a fad too. Absolutely. Um, let me think about my opinion. Um, I'm a big fan of four-day work week. And it's not because I do not want to work five days. It's because I want three-day weekends. If there was a magical way that we could extend our weeks to eight days, I would take that. Um, <laughs> just like thinking about three-day weekends, it's just a lot of opportunity to relax, kind of even do a weekend trip somewhere. But more so for me, it would give me the chance to work on myself during work days when like you're focused on work, it's usually, there's not enough of an opportunity to do all of those like learning and development that we talked about. Again, highly varies between industry to industry, job to job, all of those factors. But I think I would personally benefit from that. So I was talking to my friend the other day and I said, I guess the fastest way to do it is if we start our own business and then hire people to just work four (laughs) days in a week, because I don't think it's going to happen a quick. Oh, one other thing that I suggested was it's going to happen only if a big shocking event happens. For example, COVID accelerated the movement to remote by like a hundred times. Now, I hope I don't, I hope nothing bad happens, but like I'm saying, if something happens that Mm -hmm. is such has a massive impact, then I would foresee us chaining to four day work weeks i don't know the answer if i knew i would have been super rich by now um but that's that's my take yeah no i agree i like a three-day weekend (laughs) who doesn't like that yeah now let's touch on western how to stay part of western beyond graduation and you know think about more as a community i know you have been a board member for a few years maybe you want to touch on that topic as well up to you sure Um, I think for me, like graduating from the Ivy program, the good thing is they have very organized uh, 
reunions. So every five years you can go back, right? So this is something where I've been able to go back quite often. And I live pretty close. Like I live an hour away driving. So, you know, for homecoming, I think is one really great opportunity for everyone to go back to Western and, and enjoy. And there's so many different events and it's so well programmed. And now I think actually with the pandemic, it's changed it so that, you know, they have more remote uh, events, right? So that you can do things virtually. It never used to be that way. So I think that's actually a plus of the pandemic in terms of like being connected to Western. Um, they have an alumni services group. Like uh, I was on the board, I think six years at the Western alumni board. And uh, they, the alumni group there is wonderful inside the organization, like inside of Western. Um, so they always have programming. It's something you can find on the website. Um, and there's also an alumni card that every student can have. So you should make sure you have that. And that gives you discounts to lots of different uh, organizations and, um, yeah, and, uh, and, and perks. So, and I think in terms of staying in touch, I think the great thing is, you know, I have an email that I can use forever, right? Like my HBA or my MBA emails, I can attach to any other email. That's helped me stay in touch with people because sometimes I'll just get emails from people I haven't talked to in a million years. Um, I think that also the global Ivy day is a big one, especially if you're a recent graduate. I think a lot of people come out like in the Toronto area, I'm sure in London and around the world is another great opportunity to be involved. Um, yeah, there's just so, so many different things that you could do to, to, to stay in touch. And it's really easy. There's chapters in like all the big cities and there's traveling events a lot. And if you wanted to create something, that's also something you can talk to the school about. Absolutely. No. And uh, like talking about the virtual events, that was exactly how we met last year. It was through a virtual event that you were um, a true. speaker on. And then that's, that's how we met. So there's definitely power in virtual events. There's definitely power in having um, chapters in other countries. I know one of our previous guests, Nathan, he like went into a party without knowing it was a Western student, Western Alumni Association or something in Hong Kong. And then like all of a sudden he was surprised to see Western students there. So it's good to see representation everywhere. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it is really cool. Um, I guess also on the topic of extracurriculars during school, how, how are they a good experience or are they a good experience? Yeah, hundred percent. I think that it's never all about work and it's never all about school, <laughs> right? So I think it's do things that give you energy, right? It could be anything, you know, you could, uh, you know, join. I think it's about being with other people too, right? Like it's about, you know, uh, interacting with others, learning about the world, learning about other people. Um, yeah. No, 100%. Extracurriculars, thumbs up. <laughs> Absolutely. I know for, for me, Voices of Western, I started, when was it? May 2020. It's been going for like the past three years now. It's something that I was passionate about. And then we started a podcast, the podcast. This is the third season of the podcast season going on. Great. And I, I am fairly confident that the opportunities that I've got were mainly because of my involvement and leadership with Voices of Western, not because of my medical sciences degree that um, I, I pursued at Western. So I highly recommend there's, it brings a lot of value to people. Yeah, to, and like you're taking such great initiative. It's what we talked about before. It's about doing things, right? Like exactly. instead of, you know, right now we're in an era like uh, where people love to talk about things, <laughs> you know, like, and everybody has a voice, which there's something very positive about everybody having a voice, but with that voice, you need to take action, right? So your bias for action, I think is a great example for other Western students, you know, to actually go out and do something, you know, you created this from scratch, right? Same. Yeah, it was. So Humans of Western was founded in 2014 by two members, Emily and Kathy. And then we like the team continued that year over year. And then in 2020, we added a portfolio to it called Voices of Western, which is basically the podcast. And it was, uh, I was on the team and we started with like two other people. And then we quickly ramped up to six people, a team of six, which is under the Humans of Western portfolio. So yeah, I can take some credit for that too. <laughs> yeah, I think that's awesome. And congratulations to everyone who was involved. That's cool. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I guess as we are approaching the end of this episode, what's, what is one piece of advice that you have for Western community members? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, uh, Hussein and I are talking about that, that before, <laughs> just thinking about like what, you know, what would be a closing statement here? And I think if I, I can tell you is, you know, 
as a Western alumnus, you know, it, there's a time where you, you can give a hand and there's other times where you need to take a hand for help. And this is such a great community. And one great story I have is that when I was in my undergrad, you know, I came to school, I went to, you know, the business school, I was first generation Canadian, uh, my summer jobs were working in a grocery store, I did farm work, right. And I came into third year at business school, competing for consulting engagements and banking jobs. <laughs> Right. And I thought, how am I going to get a job? <laughs> and a lot of my peers, you know, they had more contacts than me. They, you know, they, they, they knew more than me, quite frankly, about business or anything like about how to move forward in the future. And, uh, and for me, I made like people connections. Right. And what I did back in that day is they used to have a binder, a paper binder <laughs> that you opened up and it had all the alumni in it um, from Ivy. And I went through there and I thought, you know what, I'm going to email the, the alumni and I'm going to email, you know, the, where I'd love to work, Fiji, Australia, et cetera. Right. And you know what? A hundred percent of them got back to me. Oh, wow. 100%. And I got a job, right? Like I went and I, you know, Stefan Wisniewski, like I tell him he's my Western Valentine. He gave me every <laughs> job I ever had. You know, he gave me a chance. Like he gave a kid that had zero business experience, right? Um, and and uh, we organized actually uh, um, to have like an internship in Australia. And I also negotiated bringing a friend <laughs> and then I brought my friend. And then I negotiated a vacation. He paid for me to go two weeks across Australia. It was the best negotiation of my life. And, you know, I'll always have a place in my heart for him that he helped me, you know, come and, uh, you know, gain that experience. And we actually created a seven-year um uh, Asia Pack uh, internship, where then we actually recruited for the next round of kids that were going to Australia, and they did so for the, all those different years. So, you know, I needed a hand, right? Like I didn't know how to start, but I was working hard, and I, you know, had my values in place, and people saw that, right? And uh, and he took that email, right, <laughs> and he talked yeah. to me. So, you know, I encourage you as you know someone who's at Western, and you know, if, that, if this is one community where people might reach out to you. Just, you know, give it, you know, listen, <laughs> you know, if somebody else is reaching out and don't be afraid to reach out as well. Like as a student, like, you know, I, I did that and it really paved the way for my entire career. Exactly. Like one thing I'm so, first of all, I'm so happy to hear that you were, you know, positively impacted by someone else, like reaching back and helping you that that's awesome. It's always those moments in life where you remember and are like pivotal moments that could change the whole direction of a thing. Um, I guess Stefan would be happy to hear his name on this podcast as well. We'll be sure to send this one to him. Um, <laughs> but yeah, students, the takeaway here is to reach out and never be afraid of helping and asking for help. Correct? That's correct. We yeah, got you it. got it. Awesome. Okay, well, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Voices of Western. Feel free to follow our socials on Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, we are everywhere. You can find us everywhere at humans underscore Western. Thank you so much yes. and have a good rest of your day.